What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> Dad said when he had the first TV on his block in 47 and the screen was two by three and they took a plastic bubble of water and put it over the top and had a little hook and, you, and it made it uh, four by six. <laughs> <laughs> And he said they were so fascinated by it that TV didn't come on till five o'clock. And you remember in the old days when it doesn't have any more. But hello, friends. Well, this is yeah. This is the last uh, WHS has concluded the broadcast for today. Oh yeah, I remember and that. Then it would go off and well, they'd that. come over and watch that because until five o'clock till the TV came till the show came on. Morton Downey Senior would go That's on. Probably, you probably don't remember that either. Do you remember that all the local channels signed off at at about one or two, and it would say. We have concluded our broadcasting for today. Thank you for watching and tune in tomorrow. And like, it just go. To, <laughs> just go. We it go. was over. It was off at that point. Like all the channels, every local channel would go tuned off for the day. Now, and it was happening around. From about 2 to five thirty six. there was no TV. It was like after Letterman. You'd have, you'd have the news. Johnny. Johnny. Letterman. Nothing. Ant Wars. <laughs> That's what we call them, the Ant Wars. Ant Wars. Because <laughs> it looked like a bunch of ants crawling on each other. <laughs> Gosh, guys, I just, I'm 30 now. I'm young. Jeez. <laughs> no, no. Watch it snow. <laughs> you watch your TV screen and look white with, yeah. you're like, hey, it's snowing. But that would, they'd watch that for an hour just because it was fascinating until the TV came on at five. They just watched it, static. Yeah. From five to eleven and eleven o'clock after you know. It was a simpler time. <laughs> <laughs> but could you imagine a four by six TV screen? <laughs> no, the, the the funniest part of that was the water, <laughs> the bubble of water. Like it, there wasn't a glass. It wasn't made of glass. It wasn't no, a magnifying glass. It was it was plastic literally water. made of water. <laughs> that was the magnifying glass. I had to do an oral history project in grad school, and Dad told me that. Wow. <laughs> and Morton Downey Senior would come on at five playing the piano. Remember Crazy Morton Downey Jr.? He died young, the crazy comedian. And I don't remember him. But from the 80s, he was nuts. Not related to Robert Downey Jr. Mike, I don't know. I doubt it. He's a junior also, so I doubt I, it. I think it's the same family. Oh, wow. Well, that makes sense, though, you know. I think Morton Downey smoked like a chimney and drank and popped in, and he died young. He was wild. That'll, that'll do that. Yeah. yeah just as, like, as we know, Elvis found that out. Our first lesson for today's podcast, don't smoke like a chimney pot pills and drink. And you'll... <laughs> you might extend your life a little bit. Yeah. I did read somewhere yesterday where each alcoholic beverage, so beer, glass of wine, whatever, over the weekly suggested limit is 15 minutes off your life. That's what this article claimed. Uh, I know people. They should have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, just, I, I know mean, people smoke like chimney, drink whiskey all day, you know, yeah. starting mid-afternoon, They did live to their 80s. You know. They did an interview with a woman uh, <clears throat> on the news, and I uh, yeah. remember seeing it last year, and they said, what's the secret to longevity? And she was like 105, and she said that every single day she started her day, with a shot of bourbon. Yeah. Well, not that uh, World War II vet, the last uh, African-American World War II vet who passed away like a month ago, he was 116 years old. And they asked him what his secret was, and he said a cigar a day and a glass of bourbon a day. And, wow. And, but, I mean, based on that theory, he should have been dead. Let's like, let's see, each puff of a cigarette, 15 minutes, each glass of bourbon, 15 minutes. He, he should have lived to seven. Should have been no, dead in 1978. No, <laughs> he, he'd have lived till 180 if he didn't do that stuff. Well, you know, so about a month or two ago, they actually said that that it is highly likely that the first human to live to 150 years old has been born. Really? Hmm. Hmm. 
when they when they look at at how the length of how long people are living, they say that it is highly likely that the first human to live to one fifty is has been born. Huh. Now I don't know if I believe that, but the fact is, you think about you think about how everything in our society is set up for retirement. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about years. retiring 75 years before. Yeah. That's a lot of retirement you're going to be drawing. There's going to have to be some changes. Our made. Pension. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Retirement age is now 100. <laughs> I know. Well, they better not change that on me. Yeah, as long as they change it after I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're... I hate to tell you, you and I aren't going 150. Man, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I yeah. so I, you know, I've made it to 50, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny. I used to go to all weddings. Now I go to damn funerals. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it started. Let's just jump in. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host of the podcast. How is everyone? And today's guest, Chad Miles, host of Kentucky Field TV. Thank Ch- you. Chad, you've been on... This will be your second time officially being on the podcast. You were on one time unofficially when me and Harold Knight were having a nice conversation and you came in and jetted into the conversation, which was necessary because we had a time limit that day and you needed Harold for yourself. <laughs> that was, so uh, you, you, was a college show about a year ago. Yeah, you've been on the podcast two and a half times now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. And uh, aside from, uh, let's see, uh, life expectancy and smoking and drinking and things, there's other things that we should talk about today. Mm-hmm. I have a few notes jotted down, but I really don't care where this goes, to be honest with you. There's, uh, I mean, you guys both know about the flooding that's going on right now. Pretty much, I mean, you can't walk outside without knowing about the flooding. You know, it's absolutely amazing that that we're dealing with this flooding again. Oh, last year this time, the same thing we were talking about. It's worse this year, though. Well, actually, so the month of February last year was the wettest month ever in the history. And they have dates all the way back into the 1870s. Yeah. At eleven, almost eleven inches of rain mm-hmm. in February, and that's that's based in Stanford Field out of Louisville. Mm-hmm. If we get another two hundredths of an inch, we're going to be in the top five this year. So we're literally taking a the the biggest historical flood ever in Kentucky and backing it up with a top five the next year, the very next year. And it's mm-hmm. not like it quit raining at any yeah, point. Last year February was super. <clears throat> well, last year February was super bad, but it was also calendar year wise the wettest year in history. Sixty six so, inches here in Franklin yeah, so last year. It's not it's like crazy. it was. It wasn't just February; it was the entire year. It's Twenty inches above. Yeah, it is amazing, and uh, obviously everyone's got cabin fever. Even if the weather was nice and warm, which we've had some warm and some cool days, mm-hmm. you sit inside and watch it rain. Coming off of three months of sitting inside because of the the weather conditions yep. and the cold weather. Everybody's ready to get outdoors. Oh, I know. It's kind of been, I mean, for the TV show here, people don't, I don't know if everybody out there realizes what we go through, but we are so weather dependent Mm -hmm. on what we can get out there and do. I mean, it's not like we're going creek fishing right now. We're not going down to Cumberland trying to catch largemouth or smallmouth. I mean, we'd be fishing water that's never been fished before up there on the bank. I mean, you could literally ride a boat up 76 falls right now. The way oh, it looks. They're they're taking kayaks over seventy six falls and it's like a two foot drop. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not even impressive anymore. <laughs> the picture that hit today, I, I was reading the Courier Journal article before we came in, and there's a, a photo gallery. I went to do some float and fly back in December, and we put in at Holcomb's Landing, which is right by the dam. It's a new ramp. Chad and I've put in there before. <clears throat> Speaking you, of putting in there, do you remember what happened the day we put in there? It was sixteen degrees. <laughs> And my truck and boat literally took off. Mm-hmm. Tires locked up, slid all the way until the boat slammed the water. Yeah. 
And then it stopped. <laughs> oh, thank God. And then it stopped. Anyway, thank God. Thank God we didn't unhook it off the bunks because it was slid right off. You know, that happens. The bunks get frozen. People don't realize it. So you probably needed that boat being hooked up to stop you. Oh, well, yeah. What helped is that even though it was that cold, the water the water temperature was still like in the So the 40. ramp was stalled down there? So about the last 10 feet of concrete of pavement was melted. But when we got off, I wasn't sure, and I was in at that time. I was driving a uh, a Tahoe SUV. I wasn't positive it was going to pull the empty trailer up the up the hill. But I did know one thing: I was going to go fishes and worry fishing. And worry about, <laughs> worry about it later. Back. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, talk to what about well, you land? know, where at the top of that ramp, there's that turnaround area, and there's the box where you put money, and there's a sign that says day use rules and all that. That sign is half underwater. The turnaround area is underwater. The bathroom that's way up the hill there going out of the parking lot. The water is lapping at the base of that. Can you imagine? I mean, half a significant chunk of that parking lot's underwater. That is just beyond belief. Well, I mean, another crazy thing is, it's. I mean, obviously, it's record high water level for Lake Cumberland right now, right? And it's 756 is what it looked like, uh, or near 757 is what it looked like it crested yesterday. And it's supposed to be... It's winter pool right now. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to be far below where it's at. 715? Or 705 yeah. is winter pool. So, so we're looking at 52 feet above where we want it to be right now. Yeah. And you take a lake the size of that's a Cumberland, lo- that's you a, think about oh how much water that is. Oh, lake, we've said it before on the podcast, Lake Cumberland has the highest water volume of any man-made lake in the U.S. So you're talking about 50 feet of water on top of. And that, I mean, the lake expands out. That water is pulling out. I mean, the lake itself has gotten bigger. So that 50 foot of water on top of the already largest water volume is a larger 50 foot of water than what we had below it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's an insane amount of weight. It's- I would say this. if uh, if I'm not going to say if because I strongly believe Wolf Creek Dam is going to be just perfectly fine. Well, everything's the pressure that's handling it so far. No, that's what I'm saying. If Wolf Creek Dam handles this pressure, I mean, you've got nothing to worry about downstream on a typical flooding event because this is about as bad as it's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. And I have seen some news agencies, I don't know, I'm not going to call them out by name, but just some in Louisville and Lexington trying to pull some views and trying to pull some reactions using the whole Wolf Creek Dam might give way. And that's just a bunch of, I mean, it's already crested and it's going down now. So Wolf Creek's holding strong. Well, the guy from the corn, that article said, uh, this were before the repairs, we would be evacuating downstream. Gosh. And downstream is a little town called Nashville. Yeah, yeah just a <laughs> small town. <laughs> yeah, little town. They say that. You just be at Tootsie's having a beer, like, why, why am I wet? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the whole I don't, town's flooded. Like, I'm not trying to, like, instill fear in anybody here, but that, what, what do they say? If Wolf Creek was to give way, and this isn't even what the water volume we have now, just on a normal mm-hmm. level, they say it's like uh, 90 minutes and Nashville's 20 feet under or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then you got everything between there in Nashville, too, because I know there's a bunch of small towns and things. And you got to remember, too, you've got uh, Cordell Hall between mm-hmm. here and Nashville, don't you? So they would overtop that and release all that water. So Yeah. It's just crazy to think how much water that dam is holding back right now. No, that's insane. And you go down there, I mean, the river's way up. The river's, I mean, you couldn't get anywhere near the river right now. You'd be crazy, too. It's and, backing up into Hatchery Creek. The steps were the, the, the ladders designed to keep the predator fish out there. 
Yeah. I don't know if – not everybody might know about Hatchery Creek, but it's a man-made creek that is below Wolf Creek Dam. And basically it was created because there was a, a small leak in the bottom of the dam that was letting like 650 feet of water through, mm-hmm. 650 CFS. And some siltation issues as well. Yeah, so they created this creek and they, they made it really nice habitat for trout. And that was to solve the erosion issues and mm-hmm. siltation issues you're talking about. And then it was like one of the best trout fishing streams in the state, in the country probably. And definitely like a world-class man-made trout fishing stream. But at the base of it, they had step pools that only the trout could make it up. So you didn't have to worry about bass or stripers or anything like that getting up there and eating the trout. So you had a beautiful trout fishing stream. Gates wide open now. At this point, that water has come up over that step pool. So now you're going to have those predator fish getting into the stream. Which is going to make it interesting mm-hmm. for the next little bit. Like I'd almost Cue be the dinner bell. Yeah, I'd almost be interested in getting down there and fishing just to see what was in that creek now. Oh it, well, and then when it falls, it's going to fall really, really fast. Yeah. And you're But you're taking a fish that size, you got to see them. Yeah. Hatchery Creek is a very clear. Oh, it's it's small. And yeah. and you, you know, a lot of parts of it, you can kind of run and jump over different areas. You're of talking, it. So you, you're talking you about know, a six inch deep creek in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So you'd be able to see even in the deeper pools. Now, there are some lunker bunkers that are being dug in underneath the banks there yeah. to sustain fish in low water situations. Yeah. I can imagine somebody throwing their fly in a 60 pound trout, or excuse me, striper, brown striper come out there and go. It wouldn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good fight. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like that fly anywhere. Right? <laughs> No, it'd be, it'd be fun. I'm interested to see what it does. Because, I mean, this flooding is going to change a lot. Me and Lee have talked before on the podcast about how much creeks change every year. Mm-hmm. You know, from flooding event to flooding event, you can go back and your favorite hole in the creek might be completely different because mm-hmm. a dead falls down and it's created a new a new, a new deep spot or, you know. Gravel maybe, washed into it. Yeah, gravel washed in or gravel washed <clears> out. Mm-hmm. You know, things are completely different. Things are going to be different in the creek this year when, when it's actually fishable. You get out there, you're, it's going to look completely different. There's going to be new channels and new places to kayak and new places to fish. So I'm looking forward to it, but mainly I'm just looking forward to all this rain stopping. Going away, yes. Well, and I'll tell you, um, it, I think that this year you're going to see a lot of the cold water species as this water does start to reside, and you've got a lot of water coming in. The fish that make runs to yeah. spawn. And white, white, bass, white bass, sauger. Stripers. Striper, mm-hmm. sauger. I think that you could see incredible fishing when the water comes down up against the dams where they've gone as far as they can go now they've hit a natural barrier they may make their way up that up that water column quicker because a lot of the rains that we've had have been fairly warm rains yeah mm-hmm. so your, your water temperature is starting to rise the mm-hmm. fish is being triggered to say hey it's time to go and as they start making that run um you nolan white bass run could be historic this year last year was fantastic you and rick hammered them I mean, we did one show on there last year, and, I mean, we got there in a matter of 45 minutes. We had all the footage that we could potentially use. No, we didn't quit fishing right mm-hmm. that second. We we kept handling But the weirdest thing is when we put the camera down, we started catching walleye. And we caught three or four walleye down there. We didn't showcase it on TV because we didn't have it uh, have the camera up and running. But it was fantastic. It was one of the best years I can ever remember. There was times we went down there, and we literally caught fish. 10, 12, 13 casts in a row. Mm-hmm. When you got when they're on a good it, spot, it, it's just fantastic. And I, I think love it when it's like that. It'll be a good year for that, too. I take the walleye all day. I mean, I'll, white bass are great. Love to eat them. I'll, 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 white bass, I'll fight them, though. I'll, I'll go down there and I'll catch a limit of 15 white bass and I'll be happy as can be. But if I got a limit of walleye, 
I might be a little bit happier. You know what I mean? Because I mean, speaking of limit of walleyes, changed limit mm-hmm. limit length size has changed for this year. This is it because they were trying to make it all the same for sauger, sawguy, and walleye? It is. It's so incredibly hard. I mean, it's even hard for a fisheries biologist to yeah. take a fish and say, "Is this a sawguy or is this a sauger?" Mm-hmm. You can usually tell if it's a walleye because if it's got some form of or no saddles on the back, <clears throat> no black on the back, whatever, yeah. you know, okay, it's, yeah, it's, a, walleye. it's a walleye. But the other the other two species are so hard to tell the difference. Yeah. That now they've just thrown them all three together. If it's a species, sauger, sauguy, or walleye, the length limit on walleye have actually come down. Yeah. What what was it like? Eighteen or something like that. No, I think it was fifteen. It came down an inch. It came down an inch. Okay, fourteen. It's now fourteen. So it's fourteen on all of them. Fourteen across the board. Because it used to be twelve on sauger. Mm-hmm. And it is now it is now fourteen. And it was six statewide, but ten in the Ohio River. Yeah. Okay. And now it's six we have. six statewide. Mm-hmm. Indiana is adjusting their rules and regulations to match ours. It's 14 inches, six statewide. The thing this really should help is, you know, you go out there and you fish the um, Ohio River, and you catch those sauger that look like they're yeah. about the size of a cigar. I was going to say you could cut off the end and light them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's great. It's 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 an opportunity to get out <clears> and fish and catch fish that time of year. But if you're really wanting to, you know, to, to have a, a sizable catch and something you can put on the dinner table, we needed to have. We need to allow those to spawn and grow, mm-hmm. and that that is going to give this opportunity. I interviewed Jeff about it for a column I did a while back on the new fishing rigs, and he told me, you know, simplicity and also getting those those fish in the Ohio River just a little bit bigger so they can get a couple more spawns off and improve mm-hmm. that. Just want to catch a little bit bigger fish. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. <clears throat> as far as when we were talking about fishing opportunities, this would be the time of year to go out there and hit the sauger if, you know, lock four, lock every lock on the Kentucky River wasn't completely I'm underwater. not sure that there were more than a handful of days this entire winter that the Ohio River would have been good for fishing for sauger this year. This might have been one of the hardest winter to try to locate. It was blown out. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you, I did one piece on Sauga. I knew what he on the Ohio River. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was on the Kentucky River. While we were fishing, we got cut short, and it started raining, and it didn't stop for about five or six days. And the river is the it's, dam that we were standing there fishing. Two days later, you couldn't even see the dam. No, we went back down there, and I mean, there was no lock, there was no dam. It was just a slight riffle. You could see a little bit of disturbance, disturbance in the water. Yeah, that's all it's, it was. It's really getting high in downtown Frankfort now. Yeah. Well, that's what I was kind of getting I don't think to. It's crested yet. If you did want to go fishing right now, say somebody was like me and they just absolutely have to go wet a line. Yesterday, I walked down to our Finns Lake here. I mean, Finns Lakes are an opportunity. They're, yes, they they're are. still fishable. They've all been stocked with trout uh, since the 14th. I think the 14th and the, February. Yeah. yeah. So within the last two weeks, they've all been stocked with trout. I went down there on a 15 yesterday and caught two trout, took them home last night. I actually cooked them at 2.30 in the morning when I got home from the UK game just because I, I wasn't going to be able to sleep. And I was like, well, I might as well do something. I'll eat these trout. So I baked two trout and ate them in bed last night at 2.30, 2.45 in the morning. You're and, a little uh, different at your house than we do. Yeah, a little bit different. You sound like you're living right, eating, eating trout in bed. Yeah, my, <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah I, that would go over really well. <laughs> I was, I, eat, yeah, I was eating trout in bed with my dogs in there just staring me down the whole time. So, But um, Fins, Lakes are, Fins Lakes are an opportunity right now. Me and Chad, Chad and I, that's proper, are going to go down to Del Hollow tomorrow and spend two days down there trying to catch some largemouth and smallmouth. So hopefully that's an opportunity as well. You know, it, there's there are still opportunities to fish. Now, we're limited. There's yeah. no question if you if you like to stream, stream fish, creek fish, river fish, 
your opportunities are. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, don't even try it. I mean, it's, at this stage of the game, you, you need a you need a raft and a helmet mm -hmm. um, and a paddle. I mean, it's not really something you're going to be fishing on. But if you go on the lakes this time of year, you really you're going to need to go toward the lower end, away from the run ins, and find the areas closer to the dam that have freshwater run-ins coming into them because mm -hmm. what happens is all the other gets blown out it rut it pushes the logs and debris down and if you get that area where you have a natural spring coming in it will continue funneling in fairly fresh clear water that's the areas that you really want to target right now and this time of year normally the water the dirtier water warms up faster you want to run up in the creeks and rivers yeah this is not a typical year yeah. Uh, if you're going to fish the big lakes, you're really going to want to be closer toward the dams and the areas where the water has kind of fil filtered out a little bit and find you a find you a couple of areas where fresh water is coming in. It could be very productive. Um, also, find you those areas. I can't tell you how many times I've been out and, and fished right at the boat ramp. Mm -hmm. That concrete on a day, you know, today it's, it's 70 outside. Uh that concrete heats up. There's a heat sink, yep. And it pulls that, that heat up there, and those fish will get up and sometimes set right. If you can find a parking lot that's clear, close to where the, you know, if the parking lot's close to where there's grass, those those night crawlers and worms start making their way up. Those fish are right up there. They're feeling that heat. There's a food source. Great spot to catch, catch fish this time of year. And there's usually a little hole right at the end of the ramp where people have powered their boats on their ramps, and mm -hmm. that little hole a lot of times will hold fish. Hey, you're oh, talking yeah. about right there at the end of the ramp. At where the they end of the ramp, there's a scour hole. And they'll, sometimes I've, I've done great there. When I didn't have a boat and I was traveling or just had an hour, God, I, I can't how many times I've thrown a worm in there. Pop, oh, good God. You know, you catch several fish off a ramp. It's great. Oh, yeah. We've done it. Yeah, we and, and the face of the dam this time of year can be really good when you have sunny days like this. Those rock, if it's riprap rock, you can do well. Mm -hmm. Make sure it's legal to do that on whichever body of water. But yeah, last year, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast. Last year, about this exact same time. It was two days ago, two years ago. Okay, two years ago. Yeah. This, this time of year, we went down to, it, we were all dealing with cabin fever. We had had several shows in the, in the, uh, in the in the can and we said let's take a day off and let's just go fun fishing and we happened to we chose Del Hall Lake for that day we were at State Park and I was showing Chase a technique that I use quite often and we pulled up got dropped in the water it was Chase and I and the other videographer that works for Kentucky Field uh, Nathan uh, Brooks Nathan drove my truck up and parked it and while we were showcasing this technique on the boat ramp I was showing him okay how this little bitty peck of a bite's going to feel but it could be a really big fish i set the hook and he's kind of looking at me like yeah i understand I, I, I see what you're doing and i'm like no grab the net i got one <laughs> and he looked at me like i was crazy we pulled up a four pound smallmouth mm -hmm. right on the ramp it, exact same conditions what i'm talking about david l hayes ramp yep david l 70 degree day the day before the next day was a perfect smallmouth fishing day overcast we catch a really nice fish i go there you go that's exactly what you need to do i hand him the rod we had a few more minutes to wait. He throws up there the very next cast. Guess what? Bam. Another four pounder. Bam. And it, it, the so our videographer, our other videographer, we weren't running cameras that day, but uh, Nathan, poor Nathan Brooks, is standing there on the bank. We literally have a picture <laughs> with Chase holding up a four pounder. 
and I'm taking a picture of him, and the videographer in the background, Nathan Brooks, is standing there with his hands up in the air, like, yeah. will you guys please come get me? This is not that impressive sitting here watching it. Or just throw me a pole, jeez. You know what? We picked him up before we even started the motor up. We picked him up with the trolling motor, backed out, and said, you make your turn, make a cast, and he caught a four-pounder. Yep. Literally, all three caught a four-pound smallmouth. Off that ramp. Before we started the motor. Yeah. That's the kind of days you can, and that was high water situation. That wasn't as much as it is this time of year, but um, that was a high water situation. Fishing that area where you have concrete that gets a little bit of sun, mm -hmm. it can be really productive. You know, it's kind of amazing how much just a little bit of temperature can make a difference to a fish or to a I deer. I mean, to a fish or a deer. I mean, that's why they bet on different slopes and different times of the year. Because just that little bit of temperature change makes a big difference when you're out there 24-7, 365. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's There's like... no doubt about it. Yeah. And it, well, I mean, for them, it, it literally can be the difference between life, life yeah, and death. Yeah. So, well, not just that. It affects the bait fish. It, affect, it affects where the food sources are. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it pulls them there for a variety of reasons. But, I mean, little subtle things like that, like, well... There's an airplane. <laughs> Sounded close. Yeah. Well, they usually fly right overhead here. But, but I mean, like little things like that, like you've told me before, you know, when you're pulling that bait through a weed bed, when you hit a hard spot, that means you're on rock. And there's a good chance that rock's going to be a lot warmer than the weeds surrounding it. So get ready. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just subtle, subtle things like that that a lot of people probably don't think about but make a big, big difference when you're out there. And I'll tell you, we're talking about very slight differences in water temperature can be very productive for fishing. This is the time of year. I can't tell you people that... They get ready to go fishing, and they think fishing kind of starts in April when the crappie are mm -hmm. biting. But if you want to catch a really large, largemouth bass, right now is the time to hit the ponds. Mm -hmm. Ponds are a lot, a lot less deep, so they're shallower. The water tends to warm up a lot faster, and those fish, when that when that water comes up and gets up around the grass edges, in that on those ponds in that really shallow situation, especially if you get a warm rain, you can't throw that bait too close to the bank. Mm -hmm. No. Work those bank edges. A big squirrel bill crankbait. I've done great. Just, I mean, a foot off the bank. Uh, uh, something like that. A little, you know, so you want to go smaller, you can throw like beetle spins or something mm -hmm. like that. Small I like a bait. willow blade spinner bait that you can pull super slow and just, I mean, I don't care if it's ticking the grass every single spin. As slow as you can work it, I've seen fish hit those and literally go on the bank. Mm -hmm. no, I've seen fish come out of the bank. Yeah. And hit, the, hit yeah. them. Like, literally, I'll be running that bait a foot and a half off the bank, and that fish will come out and hit me going towards open water. If and, you if you have a favorite farm pond that you like to fish, and you're itching to get out there and try to catch fish because you're dealing with cabin fever, it's now. Now mm -hmm. is the time to go catch that big fish because those fish are going to spawn earlier than the, than the ones in the lakes because the water is going to be warmer. So you, if you want to catch a really good-sized fish, there's not a better time than beginning of March for a pond, for a big pond fish. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to be out there doing it very, very soon. I, I wanted to already, but I mean, it's just I've been, invited myself three or four times. And to, yeah. Rick Hill has come to town again and shut me like a corn cob. <laughs> You're not talking about me, are you? Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh, go. I I'm, just, I'm just putting the hint in your head. I haven't been out myself yet. So yeah. As soon as I get out there. Another way to beat cabin fever, because we have literally been – I mentioned earlier, it's hard. People don't realize how much we deal with weather and flooding events with the show. So we've been searching for something we can do as well. The other day we got out there just to beat cabin fever, did a uh, squirrel hunt slash shed hunt on a WMA. And that, I mean, that was that pretty. That was a lot of fun. It was, it, was, it was more fun than I thought it was going to be. It was more productive than I thought it was going to be too. Because going to public land, you know, 
sometimes you don't know what to expect, but we got sheds and we got squirrels, and we didn't walk too awfully far. And I'll tell you what, you really can learn your WMA. Yeah. Get out there and check that yeah. out. We found some bodies of water that I wish I'd had a fishing pole. Didn't yeah. know they were even there. Those ponds? Those ponds. Yeah. Yeah, I bet we catch fish right now. I mean, we easily, we, we literally walked basically one field edge and through the woods. And we found two sheds, got two squirrels, and had an opportunity to another squirrel that just barely got away from us. But, I mean, that's a pretty productive day out there. And especially if you're somebody who might be deer hunting mm-hmm. those WMAs in the fall. Like Chad said on the piece, I'm not trying to spoil it, but get out there right now and do your homework and beat cabin fever and have a little bit of fun and collect some sheds and get some squirrels. Or I mean, you only got one more day to get the squirrels, but mm-hmm. you can get the sheds all spring long. So. But, you know, the interesting thing, what, was, what really um, I found to be really interesting on that is that how well-defined scrapes still are. We're talking about... The rut's been over for quite some oh, time. Oh, the grass hasn't grown back, so. You can go out there and you can find every single one of those scrapes yep. where those bucks were working during the rut. When you start thinking about this upcoming deer season, you think, okay, where do I want to be? Those bucks tend to use those areas year after year after mm-hmm. year. Yeah. You want to go out there and find good trails and find out where those deer were scraping? Go now now and find that because you know what that could be really productive come september October. Well, not just turkey season's a month and a half away and we found turkey scratches we found turkeys i mean mm-hmm. we you could be scouting for turkey season you could be doing anything right now so there are opportunities to get outside and beat the flooding even if you're you know can't go kayaking on your favorite creek or something like that so a lot of people think public land oh it's crowded it's no good if you could take some time off during the week do your homework like that and then go out there on a wednesday I mean, oh, you'll know. have the place to yourself. What was the stat, Chad? How much public land is in the state? Well, we're really giving up our piece. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. So in Kentucky, if you look at WMAs and then public land that's open to hunting. Now, this includes like Fort Knox. And Daniel Boone. But there's open hunting. Some of it is quota hunts. But you're looking at almost 2 million acres in the mm-hmm. state of Kentucky. Yeah. Almost 2 million acres. And over 125 locations. So there's... There is tons of opportunities. Almost every county has something. Don't you think a lot of people road hunt or just barely get off the road? Oh, that's a, that's the thing. If you're if you're, if you're willing, willing to do more work, than you yeah, think? Well, you, I'm going to give up a secret that I plan on putting <clears throat> in, putting into play next year. We were walking around with a biologist um, uh, on a WMA, and I asked him. I said, "Man, this looks like fantastic rabbit habitat." And you know what he told me? What I found it to be very interesting. He said, you know, I watch these people come in and rabbit hunt this all the time. And he goes, I can tell you this field right here has been hunted at least 20-something days. He said, but if a person would, would leash their dogs and walk them a half a mile, that backfield probably hadn't been hunted twice. And he was talking about people, you know, they let their dogs out and their dogs start going and carrying on. And the next thing you know, you just hunt from the truck. Yeah. He said, if a, people, if a person wanted to go to a WMA, and you don't have to be willing to walk that far. You just don't want to. You don't want to waste half of your day right there on the same spot. Now, opening day, rabbit season, you know, hunt right at the truck. Two, three, four weeks into rabbit season, leash them up, walk through. Make sure you get an overhead uh, view of the of, of the WMA where you know where you're going. Walk through that first couple hundred yards, or you know maybe a half a mile. Turn those dogs loose you might be the first person to hunt that area and who knows mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of area like that out there too i mean there's a you just look at where all the wmas are i mean there's a list on the website you can get on there and there is something close to everybody so i'm just saying dan miller do you remember that buck he was amish yeah, oh, yeah. on penny Rail forest well not just that the wma we were at the other day had 188 inch 
gross buck killed out there. I mean, that's a pretty dang good deer. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about you think about how many WMAs surround some of our lakes. We've talked about it before. Going in by boat. Oh yeah. And or, now you're accessing. Uh, you might be accessing a piece of property that is not accessible without going across public yeah. land. Never. No, you're talking about private land. A boat, canoe, kayak. More and more people have kayaks. You can kayak in the hunt. I, I've used kayaks on on some big ponds or lakes on yeah. private property. It could be your best way to not leave any scent to get in the least undetected. Yeah. And we've we've done that extremely successfully. Not just that, but there's something cool about loading a deer up in a canoe or a kayak and paddling it out. It makes you feel like you're doing something different. It would mm-hmm. even be more cool if that deer could paddle. Yeah, it'd be even more. <laughs> Kinda of lost the ability <laughs> when yeah. you put a three oh eight. Yeah, to that or the thumbs. Don't swim as well after that for some reason. <laughs> yeah, something something about a broadhead and the lack of thumbs. You know, I, I don't know which one it is. But, oh well, I tell you what, that's some of the. I wanted to get to all that. Like, don't feel like you have to have cabin fever just because of the weather and some of the fishing opportunities and what's going on with this flooding. We've kind of touched on that, but since we have Chad on here, I was thinking maybe we could just touch on some of the stuff we've done on the show over the past little bit. I mean, cause we get out there in the field and we deal with some characters mm-hmm. and we deal with some situations that, I mean, just, it's like any other time you're going out there and you're spending a lot of time in the woods or. <laughs> maybe one of those characters are calling mm-hmm. me right now. <laughs> you want to answer and see? Uh, he already got it. His phone transfers up front. So, oh, okay. Another airplane. Let's see. Where was I? <laughs> so anyway, so I mean, you go out there and you're dealing with people that you've never met before. A lot of times, we literally pull up and we're meeting somebody for the first time right before we go on a shoot with them. And uh, I mean, situations like that. So we've ran into some people over the years that are pretty pretty interesting. Like one that sticks out to me is Randy. Obviously, our elk hunt, Randy. Man, what what a great guy! Oh, great great that people. Guy. That guy was so incredibly funny, though. Oh, no. There was some of the, so we went on, you know, the foundation elk hunt. And in the past, I mean, it's no guarantee that it will still be in the future. But in the past, you know, we've gone along with the winner, depending on who they are, and filmed their elk hunt. And two years ago, I think it was, right? Mm-hmm. Had to be two years ago. We got uh, Moose Bradford and his brother Randy. And they were just like, I mean, Moose and Randy. I mean, their names kind of say it all. Have you ever seen the Big Lebowski? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what's the guy in the Big Lebowski they're amateurs. You know, they, they're amateurs. I mean, what's that, what's oh, that guy? Was that John Goodman's character? It's like uh, <clears throat> in the rock in Roxanne, it's it's her husband. Mm. Is that is that Sean Goodman? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's his character. Randy was him. Okay. That that was his personality. Absolutely amazing guy, but one Dude, not, I have a beverage. <laughs> no, that, that, that wasn't him, but yeah. <laughs> that is one of the better parts of that movie. Man. I think this rug sets the room off, don't you? <laughs> Chad hasn't, I don't know if he's listening to the recent podcast, but me and Lee have somewhat become movie critics oh, okay. in the recent podcast. But yeah, The Big Lebowski, another one up there on the list. But yeah. So we, can we tell a story about when we were eating dinner in the bar that one night? Yeah, do you want to tell it? This is actually a really, really funny story. Yeah, but so we obviously aren't always on the clock when we're out there. You know, if we're staying somewhere for three or four days at a time, we're off clock and we're having dinner. So we went down to the hotel bar and ordered some food, and me and Chad were throwing darts. And and you just tell the story, Chad. I'll, I'll set the scene. You this, tell the this, story. This is great. For, you know, Randy is the guy that's happy-go-lucky. You know, he's a he's a pretty good-sized guy, and he was just thrilled to be on this hunt. So as this went down, this was the hunt that Chase and I went on where it got so hot, we literally saw snakes on this elk hunt. It was 90 and degrees. 90 degrees. The hunt took us longer than we anticipated. 
we literally had to change hotels because we had a reservation that only was for a couple of days. So we're, we're you know, when you're down there hunting that, that part of Kentucky, you might only be going the next county over, but it might be an hour and a half drive in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, so fast forward three days of hunting. We still haven't gotten an elk. We'd seen some elk. We hadn't gotten an elk. The weather was starting to change for us. We had to move hotels. Now we've changed hotels. Chase and I are worn out. We've been getting up every single morning at four know, o'clock, three o'clock, three four o'clock. Been driving, there. I've covered those elk hunts. Driving every day. You're on. You're on this terrain. We drive. You drive in. You hunt till dark. You, you come out. You get back to the hotel. Time you get a shower. We're like, man, I am too tired to go anywhere to get a bite to eat. Let's just go see what they got in the lobby. So we walk down there. We order up uh, something to eat, and we're sitting there, and we thought, hey, there's a dartboard. So we're over there throwing darts, and our food comes up. We walk up there, and we sit down with essentially a bar, and we're having dinner, and look back, and it's Randy. Here comes Randy. We got to think he was wearing his flip-flops. We were so excited to see Randy, and Randy walks up there and has a seat at the bar, and Randy brought his own beer to the bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he walks in there, and, and, I, and I look at Chase like, man. No, we're both, he has a literally just a, a Bud Light can in his hand. He walks up to the bar and sits down next to us, puts it on the counter. It was actually a bottle because the funniest uh, thing is, is he walks in, he had a bottle. And I remember looking over, and I remember thinking, man, that's against law here. <laughs> and this, this nice waitress is about ready to let him know about it, right? But I ain't going to say nothing to Randy. We're tired. We're sitting there, and Chase and I start eating, and Randy is over there. He's not hiding it. He's he's chugging his beer that he brought in to the bar. She knew he brought it in because they were serving cans. She was drinking, but he he was drinking a bottle. He has two or three drinks of this thing, and I'm thinking, man, he is he's just acting like no big deal, right? <laughs> Randy then looks at the waitress and says, "Hey, my beer's getting a little warm. Do you happen to have a koozie?" <laughs> And I thought, this is definitely going to be, he is going to be thrown out of this bar. And we were, we felt bad. Randy's such a great guy. I thought Randy is about to get tossed in this bar. He literally just asked the waitress for a koozie to hold his home brought beer to the bar. And you know what she did? She gave him a koozie. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding me. I, there's something about just going in like you own the place. Yeah. Randy owned it that day. Yeah. Not just that, but another, another, that, that was hilarious. Like that had me cracking up, but I was trying not to laugh because I didn't want Randy to see that I was laughing, you know? But, uh, and then after that, he's sitting there drinking his own beer. He brought in out of his koozie that the waitress gave him. And he pulls out a pack of misty lights out of his pocket. <laughs> and he slams his misty lights on the, on the counter. He's like, oh, I think I'm going to go have a cigarette. He's like, I quit smoking two years ago. <laughs> I only smoke on Saturdays now. And I only smoke Misty Lights because it's not my brand. <laughs> Me and Chase look at each other like, we're, we're trying to kill an elk who can smell cigarette smoke from miles oh, away. Man. That was just so funny. He brought his own beer into the bar and he was smoking his Misty Lights. Did he get a good one? He did. He got, he, he, his, it was his brother who was actually doing yeah. the hunting. And... We we did we got an elk the next day. I mean, you know, we'd been on quite a quite an adventure. It was a heck of a yeah. hunt. And uh, Moose Moose, uh, the the actual hunter and the brother of Randy, did get an elk the next day. And you know, out of all the times I've seen game taken, and you know, that was maybe one of the more emotional yeah moments that I've ever been on a hunt. Oh, they were great, 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 great guys. They were great guys. 
you know, they, they had put their time and energy in, you know, they'd had some family situations. Uh, Moose had had a, had a son that, that uh, unfortunately went off to war and didn't come home, and that was his hunting buddy. And when this all went down, it was just truly uh, one of those special moments of being the host of the Kentucky Field is one of those special moments that you're like, man, th this is really, truly what it's all about. This is the reason we all do what we do. Yeah, just how happy Moose was for Randy and Randy. I mean, just how happy everybody was. It was like me and Chad and the camera weren't there. You know, it was like a moment between them. So that's what it was kind of like you were seeing there, seeing something special in person without, you know, it was just a really cool moment. I was super happy for those guys too. It might be the happiest I've been for anybody on a hunt we've gone on. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it was really cool. Super great guys, but it, that was a, a hilarious story. That's one of the. That's one of my favorite, uh, like just random Behind things. That's happened. Yeah, yeah. If we could, yeah, if we could put that kind of stuff on air, it'd be great. But that's not the kind of show we are. So. <laughs> Some other good stuff. I mean, I've enjoyed going fishing with off camera again down there with you and Brooks was fun. Fishing with Kristen on Dale was fun. Um, we've had some bust. Like we were talking earlier about how weather dependent some <clears> of this stuff is. Like our bat shoot we went on a few months ago. Like we went down there to miss net for these bats. And I don't think me and Chad realized going down how, how weather sensitive bats were. But it was about two degrees colder than it was supposed to be that night. And that was the difference. I mean, it's like two degree air temperature gave, gave us a bust. We literally did not see or catch a bat. Yeah. And they even have this really high sensitive gear that biologists use that can hear bats. And it will make this clicking noise when bats fly, fly by. There was no clicking going on. Yeah. <laughs> there was zero. So they just held up in the cave because it was too cold? They just didn't come out. In the tree bark, wherever they were. But it was like, oh, it's supposed to be 56 degrees today. It's only 53, so these bats aren't flying. You know what I mean? It's super sensitive. And uh, I mean, that's how things go a lot for us. People don't realize how difficult it is to get a TV show sometimes. Or a magazine piece. Yeah. You know? Well, the interesting thing about people that, you know, and we get the phone calls. It's unfortunate from time to time that, you know, you have to run a rerun. Mm -hmm. But the difference between Kentucky Field and most other shows out there, let's say you'd like watching, you know, Lee and Tiffany. Mm -hmm. They're going to film 13. Uh, That's not me, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, a different <laughs> Lee and a, a different Tiffany. Uh, they're going to film 13 episodes a year. They're going to travel to these hunt preserves or on their own property. Oh, yeah, really good managed properties. They're hunting. Very, very good, you know, very well managed properties. They're going to okay. put together X amount of hunts. And every hunt is going to be one episode or potentially even two episodes. You know, if they hunt it for a week and they see a big deer, then they may they may have two episodes. That's one mm -hmm. location, one hunt. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing with Kentucky Field is we're going to be on air with new shows, well, or, or a new group of shows, one or two, maybe a rerun. But we're going to run that somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 weeks a year, mm -hmm. 40 new episodes. And our goal is two new segments an two episode. New uh, two new pieces per episode. So, so you're looking at 80 successful times where you're leaving with a basic storyline that you want to showcase, mm -hmm. going out on location, and it all coming together, including the game pro cooperating, the Mother Nature cooperating, Everything just working out. And I'll tell you, it's a lot of fun. It's a challenge. It is oh, yeah. absolutely a challenge. <laughs> yeah, people just don't realize. I mean, trying to do literal, literally everything. Because it's not like we're just bass fishermen. It's not like we're just deer hunters or turkey mm -hmm. hunters. I mean, we deer, turkey, squirrel, rabbit, quail. Um, I mean, coyote. Okay. Yeah, everything. <laughs> everything you and can that imagine. That time is allotted. You know, you can't go back like those shows that are, you know, they film 10 or 12 a year. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that one turned out, well, we'll go back next week and fix that. You're on to something else. So yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, sometimes you have to salvage a... One that didn't, that didn't, everything didn't fire, and it's well, we, a lot of planning goes in, you know. Yeah, we we do. Well, we are a little bit lucky in the sense that our segments typically are seven and a half to eight minutes, mm -hmm. so we aren't trying to get twenty six mm -hmm. minutes. So you know what I mean. We can make do with three or four fish, whereas if that was stretched over twenty something minutes, that would be a little bit slow. I've but been on you, many a photo shoot where it was no fish, and there was a hole in the magazine to fill, and we're scrambling like crazy. The interesting yeah. thing is, and I've I. I I'm, the way that it kind of all works out, and I've seen, <clears throat> I've heard stories. It's unfortunate because, you know, to produce a TV show, you've got travel expenses for people who come from out of state, and they may be, you know, they may be out of Minnesota, mm -hmm. and they're in upstate New York fishing Lake Champlain, and the fish aren't cooperating, and they catch a fish. Nah, I've heard stories of that same fish being caught two and three and four and mm -hmm. five times. I will say, yeah, uh, we have never done that no 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 now we have come home without a show <laughs> yeah we've oh, come home yeah we've we've come home with our tail between our legs and said man that we just got our butts kicked but mm -hmm. i'll tell you what we have done we went on shoots planning on catching striper and or largemouth bass and for whatever reason it's not working out they're not cooperating and we go you know what? i wonder if we can catch crappie Mm -hmm. and our all of our show idea and everything ends up out the door, and we go, guess what? Today's segment's going to be a crappie fishing segment or a bluegill fishing segment or whatever. But we try to put a spin on it to try to showcase other opportunities out there because, you know what, I've went, I've went with my dad out planning on bass fishing and it not working out and turned out bluegill fishing. No, mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like depending on what kind of an outdoorsman you are, I mean, that's perfectly fine because I promise you, if me and – if I go to the river, the whatever I go to, and I'm trying to, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to go catch a, a muskie, or I'm going to go catch a, some bass, and something else is on, I'm switching. Because oh, yeah. I'd rather catch some fish than no fish. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And it, unless you're fishing a tournament, or you're just really narrow-minded as far as what you're out there to catch, I mean, that's what most people are going to do. So You know, you're out there to enjoy enjoy the resources, and, uh, you know, that a piece we did two or three years ago, which is hard to believe. You know, I think this week starts my third year with Kentucky Field, which is amazing to me. But in the very first year I was there, we were doing a piece with a female bass fisherman from Western Kentucky. Is it Sandra? Kentucky, like Sandra Rankin. Sandra. And we were doing this piece, and we were catching some bass, and we pull in this cove. And you should see the schools of Asian carp that start coming mm -hmm. under. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at all those fish. And it took about the fourth school to swim under the boat for me to realize, wait a minute, I got a bow fishing rig in this boat. I'm going through the compartments and find my rig and pull it out. And now, you know, here we are on a bass fishing piece with a diehard, avid female angler who bass fishes on the uh, FLW tour at that time. And now we're shooting carp. Because, yep. you know what? It was fun. That's exactly <laughs> what I would do if I was in that boat at the same time. Though. You know, if I was out there fun fishing and I was bass fishing, here come a bunch of Asian carp and I got a bow fishing bow, arrows are flying. Oh, yeah. You know that's I mean? exactly what we did. And you know what? It went on the show. We ended up shooting some shooting some carp. and Not just that, but the, some of the coolest footage came from that, too. Because you toss that, I mean, that carp went up there on the bank and then those raccoons, remember? Oh, yeah. They came down and devoured mm -hmm. it. It's like in the yeah. middle of the day. I mean, they, that carp went up there on the bank and four or five raccoons literally came just running down the bank and just started tearing that thing apart <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Crazy. It was it was really amazing. Good. 
<laughs> Throw 10,000 more up there the next time you're down there. We thought yeah. if we could just do a federal grant to provide raccoons with tiny little scuba gear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Asian carp problem be gone. But then the crappie and the bass might be gone too. Well, they really like those Asian carp. Though. Oh, yeah. They well, definitely do. Last year, I was doing a piece on Tug Fork for Blue Water Trails. And it, it, you know how wet it was last year. It kept going up and down. We finally get perfect water. I coordinate with... Uh, one of our fisheries biologists and his crew, Kevin, up in the Eastern District, and Jason. And, um, you know, do we go the night before? Obi gets some good pictures. It's the Hatfield McCoy area. We had a lot of the water looked beautiful. I'm like, oh, we're going to have a great, great shoot tomorrow. The next day, right at daybreak, I come down the same hill and I just see a streak of orange. And there was a freshet somewhere in the headwaters, and the water was junk. <laughs> and all that planning, I mean, weeks of planning, getting everybody coordinated together, getting everybody to meet at the same time and all that, in the toilet. And yeah. we got one fish, thank God. We we milked it, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, we milked that one. Kevin caught one smallmouth, and we milked that puppy for every ounce of juice we could get out of it. Never. We came home with a piece, but, man, it's just you people don't realize all the planning in the world can go poof. In oh, two yeah. seconds. You've never been so happy to see a 16-inch smallmouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't catch a fish that day. I was like, my God. I caught a fish on the first cast the night before. First cast, which sometimes gets to death, but ended up catching several. You know, you went like, down there. You going to smoke them. You looked at that water and it looked great. You went back the next day. It was totally different. How many times as a fisherman have you guys heard, you should have been here yesterday? Oh, every time. <laughs> yeah. You go to Kentucky like, boy, copy or biting last week. I don't know what's wrong with them now. Like, <laughs> I've had this plan for six months. I'm just going to start fishing yesterday. Yeah. And, and forget today. I'm going to start fishing yesterday. Wish you had a time machine. You could jump back a week when they were burning them up because you hear that all the time. You know, I, I love fishing, but if I had a time machine, I'd probably use it for something else. <laughs> you know, just me personally. Oh, man. You know, you see those, um, this is as far off topic as it could possibly be, but people are like, if you had three wishes, would it be, uh, or if you had your choice of any of these three things, would you want a billion dollars or would you want a time machine or would you want so-and-so? I was like, give me that time machine every time. And I'll go back and I'll win the lottery and I'll do all well, kinds of stuff. If I had unlimited uses, I'd yeah, win the lottery. Then I'd go crappie fishing when they were all like 16 inches or better. And, you know, <laughs> I'd go to the Outer Banks. And I'd probably have the Super Effective with mine that bird. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I was there. God, that was at the Derby party when it came down. Everybody went, and it's, uh-oh, mine that bird. Remember, he couldn't figure it out. And, like Everybody went, ooh. It was just like, Tyler came over. One guy had, had that horse at that party. <laughs> it killed. I mean, it was like everybody was cheering. All of a sudden, it just went silent. When I actually on. was with a guy who hit that, believe it or not. And we was at the lake uh, at Nolan, and my neighbor had it twice. And he, oh, wow. he had to bet that back then. you know. And I, think, I guess it's the same way now. I'm not a big bet better on horses, but he had to bet that on Twin Spires. And we had a terrible internet connection. It rained, and he logged on, and he's like, I think I might have hit that. And he starts looking at it, and he logged on to his account. And when I logged on to his account, I didn't know this guy really well at the time. I know him extremely well now, but I didn't know him real well at the time. And I thought, I don't know how much money you normally keep in your Twin Spires account, but it's got $80,000 in it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He went and bought a, he, he's a fisherman. Mm-hmm. He went and bought a boat in the back of the boat. Now you can see he's named it Superfecta. Heck yeah. <laughs> or my, I've got a mind that bird uh, button on my, in my cubicle right now that oh. Ray gave me. <laughs> that, was a, that was a bit of off, off. I had everything underneath him but him. 
That's ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't gamble, and I feel like I'd be a loser if I did. But no, I stuff, yeah, I might. I mean, I wouldn't mind. I, I, I take that back. I'll get play the one dollar uh, derby pools every yeah, now and then, you yeah. know, stuff like that. But that's not really gambling. That's just taking part in a fun activity. <laughs> that's like paying a dollar to play the game with everybody else. You know what I mean? My wife had five dollars to win and place on Giacomo. He was same price as mine. That bird, he was fifty to one. Wow, yeah, and she crushed it on that. Jeez. When is that coming up? Thunder's coming up. First Saturday in May. Okay. I will tell you, speaking of, speaking of thunder, we always talk about the time to get on. That's when I'm turkey hunting. I, I'm out there every thunder. I'm out there in the evening turkey hunting. And, and the planes, they do their practice runs through Shelby County where I turkey hunt. So it never fails on, I think it's the first Sunday of turkey season. I'm out there, whatever, one of those Sundays. And those planes are low flying. All, all. I always remember the, 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 the perfect time for the spawn and the best time to fish is usually the week before the mm-hmm. spawn. I always remember that based on... Is it the week before the spawn? The week before the spawn. Yeah. The two weeks before the spawn. I mean, if you can get where you can find those fish on the secondary points to areas where the back of the coves are really shallow, mm-hmm. then they stack in there. I always remember when that is based on Thunder Over Louisville. Yeah. Because I can remember, this is 20 years ago, I can remember having an opportunity to stay at the lake and fish a day and this was you know we're talking april so there's not any boat traffic really at that point in time there's almost nobody down there a lot of people come in and people open their pools and do all that stuff derby weekend this is weeks before the derby three weeks before i remember being on nolan lake and thinking man all my friends are going to thunder over louisville or i can stay here and fish the day of thunder over louisville which is usually around april 20th i remember that day on the bait on the boat we had 83 large mouths and I remember thinking, you know what? I always know that when it comes close to Thunder Over Louisville, you need to be on the water because that is for the lakes and reservoirs. When you hear Thunder Over Louisville, I immediately think it's time to go bass fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I need to know something, Chad. So, I mean, obviously, the spawn happens different times in different bodies of water, right? Different it's going to be different, yeah, based on species. Let's just say largemouth and smallmouth for, for right now. Mm-hmm. Farm pond versus creek versus reservoir what triggers it is it the length of the day is it the water temperature you know that's a very interesting question and 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 you as a avid avid deer guy i would say what triggers the rut yeah and i think that is a multitude of factors yeah, I, mean, but I think that it is most likely length of the day, length of the day. total period yeah. yeah it's the length of the day that triggers them and gets them going now do i think that really really warm water conditions that may make those fish move to those pre-spawn areas quicker than they would yeah, but is it that they're moving there for that reason, or is it because the bait's moving there, too? Uh-huh. I mean, I really think the main factor is length of light. Yeah, I think it's length of light also. But, I mean, so does that mean that smallmouth would prefer shorter days? I mean, because they spawn before the largemouth do, right? And mm-hmm. most people say it's water temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what what is a smallmouth? 52 versus 62 or something like that for smallmouth and largemouth? Yeah, but see, they, they I think also, it's a little warmer than that. They also spawn deeper. Yeah. So the water temperature is is cooler because they're you know you take a largemouth bass a lot of times they're going they're going to spawn in four. two three four yeah. feet of water. Yeah. Take a smallmouth. How many smallmouth beds have you seen in your life? No, it's like twelve to fifteen. 20 I mean, well, feet. eight to ten. Eight feet. to ten. And it really depends on how much light penetration, water color. But yeah, you're looking at areas they're they're spawning then at eight eight to ten twelve feet of water. Uh, so your water temperature is dramatically different. Go next time, the very first time you get in the lake, notice the difference between the surface temperature, which is what all your sonars are going to tell you, your depth finders are going to tell you, what is the water temperature 
usually it's on your trolling motor shaft or on the back of your mm -hmm. boat. It's telling you, you know, the water temperature at a foot deep or less. Yeah. Next time you jump off your dock or go oh. swimming in the lake, trust notice me. the difference between your shoulder oh, blades me, and I, your feet. I'm a tall guy. I feel the difference. <laughs> it's a major difference. It's, it is. And, uh, you know, that's what fish are dealing with that time of year, too. Yeah. So, I, photo, I mean, that's what I thought was the length of day. Because I think that, you know, everybody looks at water temperature or moon phase when it comes to deer and things like that. And I think they play a part for sure. Mm -hmm. But I really think length of the day is the most important thing that gets overlooked. What's the mm -hmm. most consistent? Yeah, oh yeah. You know, yeah. I well, mean, I mean, it's, things it's, are variable as far as water temperature, yeah. rainfall, all those things. But length of day is consistent year to year. I'll yeah. say this: in the past week, my turkey has started gobbling his head off every time I yell from my dog's name. I mean, that turkey is just hammering and hammering. And my chicken started laying eggs again. You know what I mean? And I'm 100% guarantee it. That's length of day. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with temperature or anything yeah, like that. I think you're right. And you know, it's amazing because this time of year, every single day, we're getting a couple extra minutes. It's like two mm -hmm. and a half minutes a day. Two and a half minutes. I mean, you, and I love it. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I it, hate the other one where it's going the other way. It quickly adds up. You're thinking 15 minutes every week. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 15 additional minutes. You're, you're looking at week. seven and a half minutes or so either side of the day. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you might go from, and then time's going to change here before too long, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it won't be long before it's daylight out at 7 45 8 o'clock i love it and you know the mate we're talking about how things change I, I really never paid that much attention because when you start seeing days get longer and the and everything starts to green up you you kind of notice it but it happens just a little bit every day i'll tell you the major the major difference for turkey hunters and that's right around the corner from day one in the turkey woods to the end of turkey season, that two or three weeks is when the woods come alive. Mm -hmm. We'll go out and we'll film that opening morning, and it's sticks and no grass, yeah. and you can see a mile away, and you can be seen from a mile away. By the end of the turkey season, you go out there, and it's amazing how the woods change yeah. in April. I'm just looking right now. I just pulled up my weather app, and I'm just going to give you sunrise times. And just think about it being the same on either side. So today, 714. Tomorrow, 712. Then 711, 710, 708. So we're looking, I mean, that's 16, that's 16 minutes, that's six minutes in the morning alone between now and Sunday. Yeah. You know, you're looking at four days, it's moving six minutes there, and that's either side. So you're gaining 12 minutes between now and Sunday. Yeah. That's, a, that's, yeah. A, that's a big deal. It's mm -hmm. a big difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking 18 minutes a week right now, 20 minutes a week. Well, Chris Hickey told me that on a piece I worked on in bass fishing, that it was photo period was predominant. Mm -hmm. When he was black bass biologist, mm -hmm. and he said it's really in fall too, mm -hmm. that that really predicates when when they're going to move shallow because they don't move as shallow as early. A lot of people think they do in fall. They stay out in those summer patterns mm -hmm. a couple of weeks longer than people think. But he says that photo period when it really dramatically starts to shorten, that's when you need to start getting shallow. You know, as soon as <clears> as soon as the the lake's clear, I mean, obviously we're going tomorrow. Um, it's going to be a little tougher. We'll have to find those cold, those little warm water inlets coming in where it's a little clearer. But man, I, this 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 is a very quick window for people who love to bass fish to get out there and take advantage of that bite pre-spawn. Because then you're going to have a couple weeks where the bass are on the beds. I mean, different species of fish bite when they're on the beds. Bass will bite. They don't prefer it. Yeah, you've got to you got to harass them. And I don't really like harassing them like I'm that. I'm not in. I mean, them off the yeah. bed. Now, tournament fishermen, they do it. I have no question, no problem with it whatsoever. But it's not something that I prefer to do. If watching that one fish and trying to trying to entice that fish to bite, but for me, as soon as they come off the the, the spawn off the beds, a week or two after that, 
that's when I go into night fishing. I mean, that for me, it's that transition of pre-spawn fishing right into right after that. The big ones come off first, trying to catch them, trying to catch them out of a little bit deeper water. Uh, and I go into that night fishing mode. I will say this, and it's a little bit different between a fish and a deer or something like that. But, you know, everybody knows how to hunt or knows how to fish when it's typical conditions. You know what I mean? And um, non-typical conditions like this big flood or some muddy water or if you're deer hunting, let's just say abnormally cold weather, can throw things off and it makes things tougher, typically. But and say when you're deer hunting and you got an abnormally cold day, if you can adjust for that and you can think through it, then you're more likely to know where those deer are. You know what I mean? Because they're going to be doing something specific to that abnormal weather condition. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're talking about with the fishing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's abnormally cold, look at south-facing slopes. Mm -hmm. You know, look at places where the deer can have a little bit of sun on their back. Mm -hmm. Things like that. If you're fishing, like you're talking about, we're going to try to find that clear water, those inflows, right? Mm -hmm. And the difference is when you're deer hunting, you just need the deer to be there. Mm -hmm. When you're fishing, you need that fish to put your bait in its mouth. It has to be hungry. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of, I mean, if the if it's an abnormal weather pattern where the fish aren't feeding, then it makes it more difficult all around. You know, it's amazing in the wintertime, the amount of times I've been out trying to target fish in cold water. I mean, 42, 43 degree water. And you can find an area on Cumberland or Del Hollow or Laurel that has some black shale. Mm -hmm. That black color on that rock can change the water temperature a degree or two. And you can go from nothing, 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 bam, here they are. Mm -hmm. They're stacked up. They're there. They're feeding all because of the color of the rock. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how when you find a pattern like that, how beneficial it can be. Yep. Um, it. And, you know, you always got to be watching that depth finder. You talked about, uh, you know, a degree difference can make all the difference in the world. Sometimes you can go from catching nothing to catching fish by watching the, watching the temperature on your depth finder, and it might change a couple tenths. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, the very first thing anyone who winter fishes should do when they launch the boat is turn that depth finder on and find out what water condition or what water temperature they're reading. Yes. Because you're either going to go back in those cuts and pockets, and as you go back off the main lake, it's either going to raise or it's going to lower. And that a lot of times it depends on, did you have a cold rain or mm -hmm. did you have a warm rain? Yeah. And when that temperature raises when you're going back to those creeks, you're going to increase your chances to catch fish. If the main lake is warmer when you, than when you go back in the creeks, you need to turn around and come back out and find those, those south-facing slopes that had dark rock. And that's predominantly, I mean, it's, never, there's, it's, it's not a science. Mm -hmm. But typically that's when you're going to have your best luck. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I just assume that most people probably know this, but I mean, the reason South facing is obviously because we're in the Northern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So our sun is always in the Southern part of the sky. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might raise in the rise in the West and set in the East or is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah. No, it's opposite. No, no, no. Opposite. opposite rises in the East. He sets in the West. Yeah. And then, uh, but I mean, it's always going to hit those South facing slopes and it's almost never going to hit those North facing slopes depending mm -hmm. on the, the angle of the slope and all. But that's why in the summer you're looking for those deer to be, you know, when it's really hot, either down low or on some Northern facing slopes where they're out of the sun and the winter, the exact opposite. And that's why a lot of times when you shed hunt or you're looking for buck beds, you're paying attention to those things too. You know, when, when you go out and look for sheds, what hillsides do you look for? Yeah. You look for the, the you look for those south facing slopes because they are warmer and they lose their antlers in February where it's really cold out. They want they want that sunlight that typically that's where they're gonna be. I'll say real quick just about shed hunting because that's something people could go to right now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, you gotta get out there and put some 
miles on the on the boots to find the sheds but some hot spots to look are bedding areas and that's where the south facing slopes come in you want places that i mean deer like to be able to see when they're bedded up they don't like to be completely hidden where they can't see five feet they like to be up or in like the point of some woods looking out to a field they like to be able to see what's around them and they like to have somewhere to go if they need to go somewhere but um <clears throat> this time of year i mean it's still cold out or it has been they're trying to stack up some body fat so look at food sources like i mean i would literally cruise fields like soybean fields wheat fields whatever you got places you know deer are out feeding and cover those areas because at nighttime a lot of deer are on their feet moving around through there look at your bedding areas and then another hot spot is creek crossings and fence crossings mm -hmm. if they have to jump or they have to do something to jar their head you're just that much more likely to have a shed laying there mm -hmm. and we, we found them in spots like that on the show before i mean last year at one of my farms we right there at the creek so we found one right on the creek right where to jump i i, I just think that deer sheds the whole process of a deer losing its antlers this time of year you know you you think about the chemistry or the mm -hmm. biology of what really happens you go from a deer that has got this this antler this horn this this bone I shouldn't say horn but bone that you can literally fight another deer and be drug around by that deer if you harvest one you can drag it out of the woods and in a matter of time for it being so hard that you can hang one while you field dress it and pull the hide off of it to it literally just going from that to falling off on its own over a period of a couple of days because of the chemical yeah. change. Well, they say it's, I mean, it could be within an hour. It thing could go from being rock solid to just plop. It's and just amazing that, how is. that works. Yeah. I mean, sheds are always something cool to find, too. You can make stuff out of them. I just have a huge collection of sheds I've knives. never done. A lot of people make knives out of them. I just have a bunch I've never done anything with. You ever seen how much a chandelier costs made out of sheds? It's like... Three thousand bucks. Okay, I, I understand you can't sell animal parts yeah. unless you're a tax service. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure we get that out there. Yeah, that's and, true. And if you're walking through the woods and you happen to see a deer that has deceased before it dropped its yeah. antlers, and so the antlers are attached to the skull, in that situation, you need to call a, you need to call a biologist or a game warden yeah. to have them give you a disposal permit. Oh, yeah. It's you're allowed to have and possess antlers that have fallen off the deer naturally. And you're allowed to have that. You're not allowed to sell them unless you're a tax nervous. Yeah. Actually, and you just reminded me. I have I'm, a buddy of mine. Shot, take yours off eBay? No. No. <laughs> a, buddy of, <laughs> a buddy of mine shot a deer back in uh, archery season. It was his number one buck. His, his, the one he was after, he shot it. He looked and looked and looked for it and never found it. And then he was shed hunting the other day and he found it. Oh, wow. Attached yeah. to the skull. And uh, I told him that I would try to put him in touch with a... Uh, biologist today to get a, dispo a disposal tag mm -hmm. for that deer I scored 170 oh, I mean, wow. you know wow. what i mean it's a it's a really good deal what a heartbreaker so i've got a i've got to make a phone call i'm glad you guys reminded me of that <laughs> but it's i mean it's pretty easy to get a disposal permit i mean game wardens are here you usually go through but mm -hmm. and uh, you just don't want to tag a buck out of season you could during season you could use your actual buck tag for that yeah you could That'd be perfectly fine but out of deer season or if you've already tagged a buck i mean you obviously need to go a different route unless you it's in season and you don't mind burning your buck tag on that dead head then. and different 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 uh conservation officers are, are different about that i mean it's one of those things where reach out to them and let them know where you found it and they may want to come see it before you move it just don't bring it home put it in your garage and yeah. uh, wait wait to hear from them because they yeah. could turn out bad you don't want to do that. they're all pretty easy going but they do gotta you know because the whole point of that is making sure people aren't out there killing multiple bucks. And I've heard stories before of people shooting a buck and then purposefully not recovering it 
and shooting another buck so that they could go back after season was over and get their first buck and say, oh, I found us deadhead. But there's a process of that. That's why you call the game warden is because there could be, I mean, they might want to check into it. They might want to look into it. So. The, the whole idea, though, I mean, people need to realize that uh, as conservationists and hunters are conservationists, that it's not that we think everyone's going to do take advantage of every little loophole and, and do something that uh, is illegal. It really comes down to the fact that when wildlife, has a monetary or dollar value, mm-hmm. we all lose. Yeah. And that's the reason if people pick them up and then they can get multiple antlers and they start finding a way to sell them and profit monetarily, it's not good for conservation. And that's it, that's why we try to make sure that all of that will remain illegal. And you have to go through either, if, you know, you have a commercial fishing license to sell fish or you need to be a, a taxidermist to sell any game parts whatsoever. It's because... When you start profiting, it's just not a good deal. Yeah, things will go downhill. And that's former, why. A uh, conservation officer who was <clears throat> actually a former director told me once that the whole reason we have regs is just greed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you get in a crappie hole and you're getting bit every cast and you're coming up with a beautiful 14 inch crappie, without regs, even, he said, even those church going, decent, honorable person just gets that, it goes back to prehistory, gets that flush. You're like, oh, I gotta have another, I gotta have. And unless there's a regulation a lot of times to stop you, mm-hmm. you won't stop. It's mm-hmm. just, it's instinctive sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he said that the whole reason for regs is just to temper that impulse. Well, it's to protect the resources from <clears throat> us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it'd be great if everybody out there had, I mean, not everybody knows the biology, not everybody knows the management. And I mean, you can't expect everybody to. And, and, and by theory, if everybody understood everything that goes into us making those regs and everybody was a you know a mindful human being then we wouldn't have to have regs mm-hmm. because everybody would self uh, ma- you know regulate themselves but that's not the case so the regs are in place to so you don't have to know the management you can just know that hey this is what is manageable you know and and, and fishermen and hunters are are conservationists and they i mean you self-manage lee how many how many smallmouth bass have you cleaned and eaten in the last 10 years Zero. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, it, but no, I, I have, just have it. That's my choice. Yeah. But it's it's your now, choice. Crappie or other things? Yeah. I'm a little spotted bit. bass. I think spotted bass tastes great. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little different than a but lot. I just, of, you know, I just don't keep smiling. Like just last night on Facebook, I saw a guy put up a, a stringer of largemouth bass. He was like dinner. And then yeah. there were so many people that were on there leaving him nasty comments. I was like, "That's no, it's not like it's not a crime to eat a fish." No, yeah. Crowley used to say that all the time. It's not a shame to eat a fish. No, no that's, that's why the regs are there. That's why we have those regs. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm trying to think uh, if there is a species of fish I have not eaten. I mean, I haven't I, eaten a muskie, but I would. I, I was going to say Asian carp, but I've eaten those. Yeah, I've eaten <laughs> Asian carp. No, but it's, I mean that's the thing. A lot of just Brandle, like, some good old. Uh, yeah. Dogfish. <laughs> Just like those people uh, care about those largemouth bass getting eaten, they get upset about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to catch a keeper crappie and not, not take it home, you know, given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And there's people out there that care about those crappie the exact same oh, way. Yeah. So yeah. you're always stepping on somebody's toes if you're not consuming the resources, if you are consuming the resources, and the resources are meant to be consumed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's part of it. But the, the regs are designed. That's why we go through all that trouble. Yeah. So Ted always said, Lee, we have the biologists to do all the population sampling and population monitoring. It's because you can keep this many per day, and it won't impact the resource. Mm-hmm. That's why we have them. And it so, could benefit it. Yeah. I, yeah. Spotted bass, I think, if you eat, it benefits, don't you think? Crappie, for sure. Crappie, especially in small In, in small ponds, yeah. Absolutely. They, they lakes. blow up and just overpopulate. And I, I tell you what, if, if even, even, ponds that, uh, even ponds that have bass that uh, don't have a lot of 
a lot of bluegill or other other bait fish to eat on. Everyone's fished a pond where you go there and you're like, man, I feel like I can go out there and catch 20 bass and every one of them are 11 inches long. No, no. Guess what? That fish probably needed some take. The conservation mm-hmm. conservationist side of you would say, man, some of these need to go because you want a healthy population and different year classes of fish. That's what it's all about. That's that's what a healthy pond looks like. You can go out there and catch 50, 11-inch fish, and you're not fishing a healthy pond. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. fishing a pond that needs some take. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of people, I mean, that's the thing. you got to understand that the most fish, the most deer, the most everything possible isn't always the best thing possible. Yeah. You know, some of the best farms we hunt are the ones that have just that medium amount of deer on them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's the ones that have are so many deer just everywhere that might get stunted, just like the deer or the basket stunted in a pond. So. But if you kept as many crappies you could catch, and if everybody did that, there'd be no crappie fishing either. You know, if there's a, well, that's, I think it's different. I, I think it's different on lakes and reservoirs mm-hmm. than yeah. it is a small pond. Because... They they populate so quickly in yeah, those small ponds. I will tell you though, probably the well, I'm not gonna say the greatest crappie fish I've ever been with. I'd say the second greatest crappie fisherman I've ever been with was a gentleman who fished multiple lakes and he told me that he's he's got twenty, thirty spots on every single lake is that it he goes Tom? to. Tom? It is, yeah. Tom. And I'll tell you what, he told me that when he comes in and he fishes a spot, when he catches his fifth or sixth fish even he's a guide. When he's guiding someone and you put your fifth or sixth fish, keeper fish off of a brush pile, you're moving. It doesn't matter and if it, he's getting them every single time. It doesn't drop. matter if he caught five in four minutes. Guess what? We're moving because he doesn't want to rip hammer the yeah. resource because he knows that if he gives it a two or three day break, he can come back and catch those five again. And he, he you know what? He always catches fish. He caught he's it. got a lot of spots. He knows exactly where to go and he knows that I'm only going to catch a certain number of fish, and I'm leaving after that. But he so, can pretty much guarantee you how many fish are going to catch before he goes down there. Oh, yeah. He could easily say, yeah, we'll catch two limits today, no problem, and you would catch two limits. He was impressive. Fant- he's a fantastic crop fisherman just, and, and just a really, really good guy. And nothing against Tom to say that he's uh, the second best crop fisherman I've ever fished with. I had the pleasure to go fish with a gentleman who has been, I think he's been six-time angler crappie fisherman of the year he's the kevin van dam of crappie fishing he's probably the best crappie fisherman i've ever been with probably the best in the world though so that's probably the best in the world (laughs) tom's not that far behind him and he only fishes a handful of lakes right here in central kentucky who was it what's the best ronnie caps ronnie caps is the guy's name Mm -hmm. ronnie caps who was he lives in tennessee on real foot lake now he is really good because of the a bunch of things. His ability to read electronics, his boat control. When you think, you know what, I think I've gotten to the level where I'm a pretty good fisherman, and you go out with an individual like a Ronnie Caps, and you watch how he methodically goes at every last nth detail, then you realize, I, on a day-to-day basis, competing against a person like that, don't have a chance. (laughs) He is literally that good. I mean, the boat control... The way that he's, he's reading the graphs, the way he That's handles... A, there's an art to that. It's hard. Well, not the way just he that. handles the bait. To I give mean, you an idea how good he is, I mean, just what what are some of his winnings again? I mean, he's a tournament guy, so, I mean, he's I mean, won, like, 18 boats. Yeah, I mean, the the, the guy, he, he was a biologist. Mm-hmm. He was a biologist, worked for TWRA in Tennessee, and when he retired, he'd been crappie fishing in the trail, and when he retired, he said, you know, I'm just going to make a living doing this. 
phenomenal guy. Fantastic guy to go fishing with. Also an avid duck hunter. But when the man puts a puts a crappie pole in the lake, he's going to catch a fish. Yeah. It's plain and simple because yeah. he knows he really knows what he's doing. I mean, you we got him on video doing this, of course. But I mean, he can be watching his boat in thirty mile an hour winds and white caps slowly move down a submerged log in the lake. Like he knows where downfall is, and he's watching. He's got his uh, his uh, what do they call it, the spider rig. He's got a spider rig, and he uses three sixty sonar. Yeah, and when he picks that tree up he's got his sonar set to 13 feet so he knows the circle the circle he, he knows how to adjust all his electronics he knows that circle is 13 feet he also know he has 14 foot crappie rods with a foot back in the rod holder mm -hmm. so the end of that the end of his sonar on his 360 is where his bait is he can sit there and fan the front of that the front of that boat back and forth and and you can sit there and watch each individual 16th ounce jig hit the the stump one two three <laughs> and then turn it back and come the other way lee we were fishing 25 mile an hour winds on real foot lake i don't know if you've ever been to real foot lake real foot mm -hmm. lake is so i've shallow. always wanted to yeah but yeah five five and ten foot winds make a normal aluminum boat crappie fisherman out unless mm -hmm. you're going to pull up and tie off to something and say we're going to fish right here we're fishing out there with no reference points. I'm fishing with him. We got a cameraman sitting on the bank, and I'm this camera guy, and I'm wondering. I wonder how bad we're being blown around because I got no reference point. I'm sitting out in the middle of a, in the middle of a lake with waves coming over the boat. We got that video footage back and loaded it up, and of course we had a lot more footage than what we showcased on TV. I'm watching. Mm -hmm. The boat is not moving at all. Yeah. How he can control a boat and use his electronics and keep you in the zone to be bit at all times it's amazing well, not just, i mean he would he could sit there and he's like all right about to get a bite on this rod right and then the rod tip boom right there <laughs> i mean he's calling his shots to the fish, second he's a fish whisperer yeah that's crazy it was really impressive but the tom tom i didn't get to meet ronnie in person but i did go on the tom shoot and tom was really good you know we got a lot of really yeah. amazing crappie fishermen mm -hmm. in, the, in this state of Utah. we do chris mann yeah, We've done a show or two with Chris Mann. He he is he is extremely, extremely good crappie fisher. Yeah, it's crazy. Well. They all fish different types of water too. You think about Ronnie on Real Foot. That's a much different lake than Barren or Nolan. Mm -hmm. And then you go from Barren and Nolan to Cave Run, where Chris Mann fishes. That's a completely different lake, also. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of different techniques on different water too. Yeah, there's you know it's amazing. Crappie really coming on in Cave Run. They have been the last couple of years. The size of the crappie mm -hmm. have been getting really, really impressive. Chris, Chris Mann, who fishes. Green River, too. Yeah. All over the state, Chris Mann fishes everywhere. I mean, I fish with him on, on Green River, and I asked him out there on the shoot. I said, uh, if you had one day to go catch some big crappie, where would you go? And he said, Cave Run. And I thought, Cave Run? Really? And he, from time to time, sends me pictures of crappie he's catching on Cave Run. We're talking about 15-inch crappie from mm -hmm. time to time. We're talking about really big, healthy crappie. Kentucky Lake Lake Barkley-looking crappie. Oh, yeah. And you know what? That's the thing. You know, March is, is the time of year to be getting ready for, to, to be catching those crappie. For big ones. Yeah. Well, hopefully that water that water <clears throat> comes down. And, you know, this is the time of year everybody starts to have the same concerns. When the water levels are this high and March is days away, you start wondering about yep. how long is it going to take to come down, and you hate to have fish eggs high and dry mm -hmm. that always becomes, we talked about that last podcast it becomes the concern so hopefully <clears throat> that that's not an issue i saw the tom now that i saw the tom shoot yeah i remember seeing that it was on uh baron 
Mm-hmm. So I'm Baron. I can't think of Tom's last name. Right? <clears throat> it starts with a P. I can't believe I can't think Pick of it. Pick it. Pick it. It starts with a P. I know it starts with a P. But anyway, he, he, he he's a fantastic guy. If you're looking for if you're looking for a crappie guide in Central Kentucky, I highly recommend it. He fishes four lakes. Barron, Nolan, Rough Ro- River Green. Nolan, Barron, Rough River Green, yeah. 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 Hopefully Green will cooperate. We can do our shoot we talked about doing last year, but every time we did it was like <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Historical flooding. Hopefully yeah. we can do we can do that float. Oh. On a no, Chad and I got to uh float that section I'd like to float again with uh the late Wade Bourne. Yeah, we sure did. And uh that day I came it was at its low release level of fifty four CFS and I came expecting to do combat with eighteen, nineteen, twenty inches. And it was one of those days where they weren't wanting that. Mm-hmm. Wade pulls out a little ultralight in those little atomic teasers. You remember that? Four-pound fluoro. And proceed to whip Chad and I's butt. <laughs> remember that? He caught more and bigger than both of us. He definitely did. And he was throwing a bait that was so small. I was like, well, there's no smallmouth in this in this stream that's going to have any interest in that little bait at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Didn't tell him he's caught about six straight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chad and I were yeah. throwing big stuff and not catching anything. Honestly, sometimes that's a trick. If, you're, if you're If you're throwing in a creek especially mm-hmm. and you're not having luck, go smaller. I used to do smaller. that more. I've gotten stubborn. i got to get back to that. Go but, smaller. The old little two-inch, two-and-a-half-inch crappie grub that they don't, or slider grub they don't make anymore. It's like a bigger version of the crappie grub with the paddle tail. Oh, they do. Good. Yeah. Well, they quit for a while. No, they did. They, and I tell you, they have They make a great jig trailer for hair jigs for smallmouths, too. They sell them at Academy Sporting Goods because I went by there and- I still have a bunch from back in the day. I got so excited when I saw them that I took a picture and we'll sent them We'll go get on the website when we get out of here. Chase, at one point in time, I remember telling I remember telling all the videographers in here, and I, I had a package of them out. I took a picture of an empty package, and I said, if you ever see these, buy all they got, and I will pay you back for them. <laughs> we fish we fish white bass for them. Mm-hmm. We fish crappie for them. We fish with smallmouth for them things, or with those things. And I found them, and they had a whole pile of them. And I think I bought the two and a half. So they're like a bigger of the yeah. crappie version, not the big big one, the three inch, but the yeah. two and a half. They literally bought all of them. So yeah, well, those they're, are, they're they're back. They're in there. They can't. I guess I can't buy all they make because they they restocked them. Back it's called a good. it's called a slider grub. Yeah, it's the slider it, grub. It, well, it, they've got a three inch, and then they had a two and a half inch for a long time too. They got a two inch. Mm. that I use for crappie white bass fishing. I'm telling you, in in the month of March, if someone said, you get one lure. I've got a bunch of them. That's the lure I'm taking mm. because that bait that bait will catch whatever you want. You're talking about this cold cold water or, or this uh, this time of year fishing for ponds. You can catch largemouth bass on those jokers. Oh, I've done well. it. Change out the size of your head. You can sauger fish. You can white bass fish. You can crop fish. It's just and you've got them on laurel. You've got big smallmouths on the three inch version on laurel yeah, pearl. Yeah. I've got that in pearl and the pearl chartreuse. Yeah, well, they're, they're great. And but in the creek, when they get finicky, I downsize to those and smack when they won't hit anything else. Fantastic, fantastic. But and you know what? The best thing about them is you get twenty in a pack for like two bucks. Yeah, I know. You really can't hardly beat that. It's a fantastic bait that every every fisherman. Should have a pack of those. Mm. Pretty easy to fish. They're fantastic. Guys, I hate to cut us off. But. but the show's going on hour two. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We need to pause for station identification at this point. It's finally quit raining. Yeah. And 
we can either sit here and talk about fishing for the next two yeah. hours. Or but y'all get to go. Or we can get out of here and go. So I think right. I'm headed out. I'm no, that's what I'm saying. I have got, <laughs> I've got to uh, get everything ready for tomorrow. I've got to get this podcast up. I got to call a biologist and try to line them up with that uh, uh, disposal tag. I've got to get camera gear ready for tomorrow. I got to get a boat ready for yeah. go in the morning. Could I have one shameless plug? We're doing uh, the Spring Fishing Frenzy series that I, of Kentucky Field Outdoors columns, but we're doing a little different this year. We're going to email blast one and put them some of, we're going to have one every week. Um, one I'm going to use is, is one that you and I did on uh, best weather patterns for spring fishing a couple of years ago. We talked oh, about okay. the barometric pressure. This is one of my favorite ones. You talk about sticks in the water. Mm-hmm. They're sticking straight up. That means high like, barometric pressure. It's yeah. like a bunch of coffee straws floating <laughs> yeah. straight up and down. You said might as well go home. <laughs> go bird watching or something. <laughs> I've seen that in action. But, but we're going to do, instead of just doing them, you know, we do the Kentucky Field Outdoors once a month. But we're going to have a page on the webpage called Spring Fishing Frenzy and uh, a lot of helpful hints, and we're going to blast one out every Thursday, so all the way until May. So when you say blast them out, are they available online? Yeah, they're going. To, we're going to do a spring fishing frenzy uh, webpage on on our fw.ky.gov. All right, fantastic. And every month, a new one will come out on the third Thursday of the month, and uh, that'll go out over normal channels, and it'll also be posted there as well. So that, and don't forget to buy your new hunting and fishing license. Yep, expire this week. Yep, it'll be tomorrow. This podcast is going up today because I'll be on the road all day tomorrow. So tomorrow's the last day. Hope y'all smoke them on Dale. That's what I'm hoping for, too. So It should be fun. You know what? It, uh, this is the least amount of time I've been in a boat for the winter has been this winter. Oh, me too. It's and been... I, it's time to fix that. No yep. doubt. It's killing me. Well, let's do it. I appreciate you coming on, Chad. Thank you. Lee. Thank all right, you man. Guys.